Nehemiah chapter 9 this morning. Nehemiah chapter 9. Let's see now. We've had bees attack me. I'm losing all kinds of technological parts up here. I forgot to serve the deacons. wonder what else is going to happen today. Could be interesting. Could be interesting. I'm, I'm flying on a little sleep again this morning probably, so that's, uh, that's probably what it is. That's what we'll blame it on. Nehemiah chapter 9, let's, uh, let's read this. One of the great prayers I think that you'll find in the Bible is here in Nehemiah chapter 9. And so let's start in verse number 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of Israel, Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Then Jeshua, Bani, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, and Shenanai stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashabniah, Sherebiah, Hodijah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord God, who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words, for you are righteous. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself as it is this day, and you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, This is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations. Yet in your manifold mercies you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light in the way they should go. 
You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth. You gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven. And according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet, when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which, if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets, yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for you are God, gracious and merciful. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty and awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us. Our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and on all your people. From the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us. For you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests nor our fathers have kept your law. Nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies, which you testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom. Or in the many good things that you gave them. Or in the large and rich land which you set before them. Nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are, servants today. And the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are, servants in it. And it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure. And we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Father God, we're thankful for the word of God, and we're thankful for what we read here in this passage. I pray today, Lord, that you'll speak, that you'll speak to us. You'll teach us the truth that you would have for us to know today. Help me, Father, to be clear and accurate and uh, uh, right in that which I try to say today. Give me clarity of thought, I pray. And just teach us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are now at the conclusion of the Feast of Tabernacles. If you will remember, chapter 8 was all about the Feast of Tabernacles. And we've come to the conclusion of that now. 
And you might remember that in our previous studies in chapter 8, a great Bible conference had taken place. Matter of fact, we've talked about the Bible a lot in these last few passages, or last few uh, discussions from Nehemiah. Uh, you remember that we thought the key to uh, chapter 8 was that phrase, bring the book. And we've talked about that a lot. But here we are in chapter 9, and once again, we're talking about the Bible because we see that even though uh, this great Bible conference had taken place in chapter 8, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. Uh, right now, in chapter 9, we come to the part where the, the celebration is over. The feast is over. And it would be easy for us to think, wouldn't, wouldn't it, that once this, this great Bible conference, this great organized uh, effort to teach the Bible. Once that's once that's done, wouldn't it be easy for us to think that okay, now uh, they're going to set it aside and they're just going to go back to business as usual? Wouldn't that be the normal thing we would expect to have happen in a case like this? Uh, and isn't that the way it is with many of us? I mean, we might get all excited about uh, some. We go to some big conference and we 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 get all pumped up about uh, the Word of God or, or or any other aspect of our faith, and we might get all excited about that. But then the excitement wanes, doesn't it? And, and, and all of a sudden we find ourselves setting those things aside. How many of us have gone out maybe and bought a brand new study Bible that we absolutely love or, 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 or attended some conference or some great revival service or something like that and we get all excited about it and, and it lasts for a little bit of time and then if we were to ask today, well, where's that new study Bible was? We're not real sure. We think it's on that bookcase up in the bedroom somewhere. We, we, we've lost touch with it because we've kind of set it aside. Isn't that the way we normally work? When the excitement goes away, the commitment goes away as well. But here in Nehemiah's day, we, we would expect that to be the same. But that's not what happened here. That's not what happened here. In chapter 9, the, the great feast of the tabernacles is over. As a matter of fact, we're on the day after that. It's, it's all over. You'd think they'd be anxious. Okay, now, we've been studying the Bible every day. Isn't that what it says they were doing? Every day they were getting together and reading the Bible for protracted periods of time. Hours of time. In the word. Wouldn't you be thinking they'd be saying, wait a minute now, I think we've had enough of that. Let's get back to things and set that aside. That's not what happened. Notice verse number three that we read in chapter nine. They stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of their God for one fourth of the day. And for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord. So they read the Bible again for three hours. And then they had a worship service for three hours. Hours. Warren Wiersbe says in his commentary on this, he says, in most churches today, a six-hour service, three hours of preaching and three hours of praying would probably result in some requests for resignations. And that's probably true. But they did it here. Did they not? That's exactly what happened here. They had already read it for hours and hours at the start of the feast. They had read it through every single day of the feast. And now we see that it has become, apparently, an ongoing habit in their life. Being in. The word of God. Now, there's all kinds of lessons that we could get, I think, from chapter 9. Uh, perhaps we should spend a lot of time in chapter 9. There's a lot here. But there's one particular lesson that I want us to consider today, and that is this. What is the value of the Bible in our lives? Or, as I have entitled today's message, what will the Bible do for you? And I don't mean just picking up the Bible in a casual way and glancing at it. I'm talking about when we make it a habit in our life, as these people apparently did. When it becomes habitual and ongoing and continuous, what will the Bible do for you? These people were changed. Their lives were vastly and forever influenced by the fact that the Bible had become a habit to him or to them. Look at some of the things that had happened here. Am I losing a battery? 
Would you bring me a cup? Uh, look at some of the things that had happened here. Uh, these people had learned in, in verse number one, uh, they had come to understand their brokenness before a holy God. On the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Uh, hold on a second. Let me let me do some technical work here. See, if, if Ray was nice, he would have done that. It's one of those days, I told you, the devil's here today for some reason. How about now? Is that better? Okay, now I'm all discombobulated. I'm not going to be able to preach now. So all the, where were we at? All these things had taken place in their life because they had come to make the Bible a habit. In, in the first few verses there, we learned some things that had taken place. Uh, where were we here? We learned that they had come to understand their brokenness before a holy God. Do you see that in verse number one? On the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Where did they learn that? They learned that because they had been in the Bible and because it had been something that had become habitual to them. We learned that they had come to understand his requirement that they live separated in holy lives. That's verse number two. Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. We see that they had developed a deep, deep sense of their own sinfulness, both by nature, which that's what they're talking about, the sins of their fathers, and also by practice. They recognized that they were sinners. These things they had gotten from the word. And they had become a worshiping people, verse number three, where they stood and read and then worshiped for three hours. So all this had happened as a result of them Becoming a people of the book and getting into the book in a habitual way. A change had been wrought in their life. Just like the songwriter says, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. We, we learned about Jesus that changed our heart. Where? We learned about it when we got in the book. And so this wonderful change had been wrought in them as well. Something had happened to this group of people. They had learned something. And they had learned it from all of this time they had spent in the Bible. Now, there's all kinds of things we could talk about from this, but that's the direction I want us to go today. And I want us to notice two main things that they had gleaned that had taken place in their life because the Bible had become a habit to them, because they had not just put it aside after reading it one time through, not just a cursory glance, but because they'd been digging in it, because they'd been studying in it, because they'd been reading it for hours on end. They came to know two different things. They came to know this. They came to know something about God. And I would suggest that time spent in the Bible will help us to meet and know God. And secondly, I would suggest that time spent in the Bible will convince us of how much we need God. Both of those things I see in that great long prayer that they prayed there. They came to understand their God and they came to understand how much they need God. So just a few thoughts and we'll put it in those two headings. Think first of all about the first one. Time spent in the Bible will help us to meet and know God. 
some of the things that they stated here, that they had come to know about God. Look at verse number six. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heavens of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth, and everything in it. One of the things was that they learned was God made. God made. And if any of us pick up our Bibles and start reading, we're going to start reading in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, aren't we? Where it's going to say, in the beginning, God created. The first thing that any of us learn from a study of the Bible is God made. He's the creator. Our culture laughs at it, I know. A number of scientists, though certainly not all, would disagree and dispute about it and scoff at it. Our government goes so far as to criminalize it in some ways. It doesn't change the truth of it, folks. In the beginning, God created. And that's one of the things they picked up. They picked up. God is the creator. And I would submit to you this morning that if we don't understand that, if we don't get that straight in our minds, nothing else is going to make any sense in the Bible. People struggle with interpreting the word of God. And one of the reasons they struggle with interpreting the word of God is they refuse to accept that verse. In the beginning, God created. Without that one, nothing else. Makes sense. Some people go so far today as to come up with all kinds of theological gyrations to try to fit theology, I mean uh, evolution, into the theology of the Bible. And you just can't do it. You just can't do it. When I went to Bible college, I was taught something called the gap theory. Anybody ever hear the gap theory? The gap theory is an idea that between Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, where we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 2, where we read, and the earth was without form and void, in between those two verses, there was a gap. There is no gap in the Bible, but that's the gap theory. That there was this great, long period of time there, and that's where all this evolution took place. As a matter of fact, they'll go so far as to say that in that verse where it says, and the earth was without form and void, They'll change that and they'll say, well, that, that word was can be translated became. The earth became without form and void. And so they come up with all this theological gyration. And the only reason they're doing this is to try to fit evolution into the Bible. And the only way you can do that is to come up with millions and millions of years to fit in there. The gap theory. Some go so far as to tell us that the days in Genesis chapter 1, you know, day number 1 and day number 2 and day number 3, 7, literal 24-hour days. That's what I believe. That's what the Bible says. Some people will go so far as to say, well, wait a minute now, that word days can mean eons. Can mean, can mean long periods of time. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to get through this sermon today. Long periods of time. That, uh, that, uh, that take place. And again, it's, a, it's an attempt to try to say uh, that evolution took place and would fit it in somehow into the Bible account. But who in the world, who in the world would read the word day and think it means millions of years unless they were already trying to fit this into some preconceived notion that they had? Who would believe that? doesn't make any sense. But see, here's the problem. If Genesis 1-1 is not true, in the beginning God created, then what do we do with Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12? What do we do with the fact that it says, therefore, as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men. How do, how, how do we get past that? How, how, how do we explain the fact that, you know, the Bible says that we needed a savior because there was a fall? How, how do we explain that if, if we don't understand the fact that there was a creation in the first place? Man and woman sinned 
And when man and woman sinned, they brought sin and death to us all. Death is a result of sin. And you say, I don't understand what you're saying. Here's what I'm saying. If you believe in evolution, then somewhere along the line, you had to have millions and millions of years of death before man even came on the scene. How do you explain that? It destroys the entire gospel to believe in that. And I know what you're saying here this morning. You're saying, preacher, you are so far off track. Obviously, all these things going on up there are bothering you, and you're completely off track. But I'm not off track. This is exactly what we need to understand here this morning. The fact is, this kind of thinking only comes when we read our Bible over and over and over again. When we recognize that we can't just take little bits and pieces of it and decide what we're going to skip and what we're going to leave out. These people have read it. I, I believe for them to have read it, as much as they read it, they must have read it over and over and over again. They got to the end of it, they went back and started over again. They got to the end of it, they started over again. And when we do that, we come to eventually understand it's a unified whole. You can't leave out Genesis 1-1 without blowing up everything else. And so it is with so many different parts of our Bible. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. This book, when we understand it and we make it a habit in our life, it will help us to understand more about God. And the first thing we have to understand is he's our creator. He made us. What he said about it in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1 is true. That's what they got. That's the first thing they noticed. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them. Second thing they learned about God is also in verse number six. He preserves. God preserves. Last part of verse number six. You preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. Once they understood that he had, created, he had created all that is, they also came to understand he hold, holds, it, holds it all together. We've talked about that a little bit, so I won't spend a whole lot of time in it. But I imagine as they went through this, they probably, I mean, put yourself in their place, in their culture, and all that they had been through. They probably were amazed to think about the fact that not only had God created them as a nation, but he had held them together. I, I, I read a, a preacher one time, I don't remember who said this, but I remember somebody saying that there is one word that proves the validity of the Bible, and that is the word Jew. And if you stop to think about it, it is an astonishing fact that we still have the Jewish people as a nation intact in our world today, after all these thousands of years. And it's because not only does God create, but God preserves. He has miraculously held that nation together because he promised that he would. And it's a demonstration. My Bible tells me in Jude, verse number 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty. He saves us, he keeps us, he preserves us. And that's one of the things they learned as they read. And then another is in verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8 where they spoke about you are the Lord God who chose Abram. They learned here about God that God had promised. Promised. <clears throat> I'm sure that they had had an oral tradition that had passed this kind of information down, even when they were off in Assyria and Babylon. I'm sure that was the case. I'm sure they had some knowledge of Abraham in, his, in, in their life, but now as they had begun to study and read the Bible, I'm convinced that they, they understood it much more clearly. I'm sure they came to see the covenant, the promise of God, more clearly than they ever had before. Verse number 7 says, You are the Lord God who chose Abram and 
brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and you made a covenant with him. I'm sure they had read Genesis 22 and verse 18 over and over. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And it was a promise, a covenant. And so as they habitually read the Bible, they came to understand that there were promises here. Covenant here that applied to them. I don't know if you read your Bible enough to know all the promises that are in there, but do you know the Bible is a book of promises? Promises that you can pull out when you need them. Promises that are there to help you. Promises that remind us that God loves us. And uh, wonderful promises like my life verse, Jeremiah 33, call unto me and I will answer thee. Show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. Promises like uh, John 14, verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Promises like Matthew chapter 7, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find knock. It will be open unto you. Promises like uh, John 14, 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Hundreds, maybe thousands of promises in this book that we'll only get if we read it and if we make it habitual. And if we go from beginning to end and go back and start all over again. Our sister Jill is here with us this morning. And uh, she's going through a hard time. You need to pray for Jill and for her family because uh, they're probably in the last few days with Cecil now. Not sure how much longer he'll be with us. And, and the fact is, whether you're saved or lost, coming to the loss of a loved one is a hard place in the life of anybody, is it not? The fact that we're saved doesn't change the fact that it's hard. But the fact that we're saved means we can go to promises. Promises like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want to read this to you out of the New Living Translation because I love the way it says it. 1 Thessalonians 4.15 says, We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. How glad the believer who in the midst of such sorrow can go to that. And how sad the believer who stopped reading before they ever got to 1 Thessalonians and doesn't know that promise is in there. When it becomes habitual, God will give us the promises we need just when we need them. So they had seen God created, God preserved, God promised. Let's move on to my second point. The first point was time spent in the Bible will help you to understand God. The second point is time spent in the Bible will convince you of how much you need him. How much you need God. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but if, as you notice, as I read through this long prayer, not only did their time in this, in this Bible help them to know things about God, they weren't just talking about him. They didn't just say you are and describe something about him. They also started saying, but we but our ancestors, our fathers, but this is what we did. And they came to recognize how much they needed God. They, they learned that in spite of all God had done in creating and preserving and promising, their ancestors had forsaken him. Verse number 16, they had acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed his commands. Verse 17, they had refused to obey. Verse 17, they were not mindful of his wonders. Verse 18, they worshipped other gods. Even gods they had made with their hands. Verse 26, repeatedly, 
repeatedly. Even after God had blessed them abundantly and given them a home and a nation and a land, they were disobedient and rebelled. Verse 28, repeatedly after they had sinned and been judged for that sin and confessed and gotten right with God over and over again, they did evil before God. These were the things that they learned as they read over and over through the Bible. How very much they needed God. In verse 36, I think verse 36 is such a sad verse. Here they were once again in the land of promise, but even though they were in the land of promise, they were slaves there. The land that had been promised to them, they lived in now, but they served still the king of Persia. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this this morning, but I think it's important for us to understand that as we read our Bible, it is important that we, that we learn about God, but it's vital that we learn how much we need God. Vital how much we need God. And so I believe that also comes from making Bible reading a habit, hearing and reading it over and over. Well, let me quit, because we're, we're out of time. But let me quit. And as I quit, I want to I go back and just mention a couple things I didn't say in the first point that I, I wanted to say for the end, because uh, I think they're important. I didn't mention one of the things they learned about God in verse number 9. Verse number 9 says, you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry. I didn't mention the fact that they had learned that God had seen their affliction. And God sees ours. God sees yours. I didn't mention verse number 12. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. God had led them. As they had read their Bibles over and over, they had learned God had led them. Isn't it good to remember? He leadeth me. A blessed thought. Words with heavenly comfort fraught. I didn't mention verse number 13. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws. I didn't mention there where it talked about the fact God had spoken. They learned that as they read. I guess that could have actually been the whole point of our text today, could it not? God had spoken and God has spoken. He's spoken to us through his word. And that's why we need to make it a habit in our life. But one thing, and I'm done with this one, one thing that I want us to see that they learned, which I think maybe is the most important, is also in verse 13. You came down also on Mount Sinai. You came down also on Mount Sinai. They learned God came down. There's a preacher in our area who is uh, of international renown. He pastors Parkside Church up in Aurora, Bainbridge. I get a lot from his teaching. I listen to his podcasts. I read his works. I, I like a lot about what he has to say. When I prepared to get, uh, get into the study of Nehemiah, I remembered that uh, some years ago he had preached through Nehemiah. And so I thought to myself, well, I think I'll go back and listen to his sermons on Nehemiah. But then I thought better of that, and I thought, no, that's, that's not a good idea, because then I'll just preach his sermons. So I decided not to do that. I set them aside. I forced myself to not listen to his stuff, and I'm, and I'm not going to do that until after I'm done with this. But I did do this. I sent him an email. And I said, I'm getting ready to preach through a series on Nehemiah. You got any suggestions, any ideas that might be helpful to me? And he wrote back, and he said, uh, he gave me a couple of resources and said that, these might be helpful. But then he said this, quote, If I were to redo the series, I would be working much harder than before to ensure that I lead people on to Christ. In other words, what he was saying was, every place you look in the Bible, 
It's about Jesus Christ. And even here in the book of Nehemiah, it's about Christ. Do we not see that when we think about that phrase, God came down? God came down. We cannot make the Bible a habit in our life without recognizing that's the theme of the whole thing. Jesus came down. That's the theme of it all. We're going to have our first Christmas cantata practice this morning, right after the worship service. And that's what we're going to be singing about. God came down. Songwriter said, down from his glory, ever living story. My God and Savior came and Jesus was his name. Born in a manger to his own a stranger, a man of sorrows, tears, and agony. What condensation bringing us redemption. That in the dead of night, not one faint hope inside God, gracious, tender, laid aside his splendor, stooping to woo, to win, to save my soul. How I love him. How I adore him. I would submit that if we make the Bible a habit in our life, that is the greatest lesson we're going to learn. Jesus God came down. That's what had happened to them. They had made it a habit. And if you, look, if you study the history of these people, you'll find that they really never went back. They, they were changed. They were changed up until the time that Jesus came. Uh, they were never quite what they had been before. It had made a difference in their life. That book, making it a habit, had helped them to meet and understand God, and it had definitely helped them to see their need for God. And so the question for you this morning is, is that true in your life? Is it true in your life? Do you, do you know God? And do you have the slightest idea of how very, 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 very much you need God? Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the word. Lord, this has been a very disjointed day. And uh, Father, I have come to know that sometimes you use those days in great ways. So I just, I just trust today, Lord, that you continue to speak, continue to work. I pray, Father, that uh, everyone here today has received exactly what they need from you. And I pray today, Lord, that uh, if that what they need from you is to be saved, that this would be the day they'd say yes to that. Uh, if, 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 if maybe some Christians here today need to renew in their hearts and minds the, uh, the, the covenant with you, that they are going to become habitual in their spending time in the Word, then I pray they do that today. Maybe some today, Lord, just need to make, make some other decisions as they think about all that you have done in their life and all that you have been to them. Maybe some of us just need to rededicate our lives. Lord, I don't know what might be needed, but I pray whatever those needs are, you'll work as only you can. Bless in our invitation. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.